0: Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing through the Gospel of Matthew. We're midway through the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. But I'm going to read uh, before and after. Um, We find ourselves in a a spot where... uh, It's all about prayer, and I've decided to sort of break it up into three weeks. And so I want to read it all in context to sort of help us um, get our bearings. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, um, that we can come, we can worship you, Lord, here um, in this part of the world where where we have freedom to do so uh, without fear of persecution, and Lord, we Um, We come before you and we ask that you would, Lord, help us to focus on your word. Lord, may your spirit help us along as we study this passage of uh, scripture. Lord, we desire to to understand what it says. Uh, Lord, that you would speak through your word, that you would encourage us. Lord, that you would help us uh, to truly have a relationship with you, that we would uh, have a greater understanding of what you desire from us. Uh, in prayer, uh, Lord, that we would uh, have a growing hunger uh, within our hearts to communicate with you, uh, that we would know you all the more uh, each day. We love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. So that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will, will reward you. And Father, we do thank you for this word. Lord, we pray that you would assist us, Lord, as we seek um, to understand what this passage says, what it means, and how it applies in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us um, to grow in our desire to communicate with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I remember four points from the last week's sermon. I'm not going to quiz anybody here right now. I uh, I spent a lot of time preparing and, and delivering it and mulling over this passage, but... Uh, The four things that really stand out to me uh, concerning the last four verses, verses five through eight, um, as we entered that last week, one of the things that I found myself doing in preparation to teach on the Lord's Prayer is I I remembered that in Luke chapter 11, the Lord's Prayer is also prayed over there. And a lot of times in our minds, we think that uh, both accounts are the same story, but they're not. Um, Jesus likely taught uh, on prayer multiple times. And uh, my, my belief is that he likely used sort of the template of the Lord's Prayer in both occasions. And the reason I think that the other story is a different story is we know the context in Matthew chapter 6 is that he's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. If we zip over to Luke 11, which I'm not going to do, we'll see the context is Jesus had been praying. His disciples observed that he was praying. Uh, We learn from the question that they asked that that John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. And so Jesus' disciples, when they see Jesus praying, they sort of say, Lord, you know, um, can you teach us how to pray? And the the reason I bring this up, that as we cover the subject of prayer, I'm not going to speak for you guys, but I'm not going to raise my hand if you ask, "Hey, who's the prayer expert in the room? Who's the prayer warrior? Who has got prayer figured out?" I am not going to be the one raising my hand. Prayer is something. um, I think I've grown in my praying capacity. But I don't think that I would consider myself a prayer warrior even uh, to to date. Um, and so I'm encouraged that the disciples, the, these guys who Jesus would use to, to, to basically lead the early church, that he would use to write the New Testament, I'm so encouraged that they say, you know, Lord, could you teach us how to pray? And it's okay for us to say, Lord, help us how to communicate with you. There's a There's a... There's a learning curve here. Um, the, the second thing is, is if that doesn't convince you, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.26 tells us that we don't know how to pray as we ought. But then he says, don't worry about it, because as you pray, the Spirit of God will, will basically take what you said and translate it, convert it to what you should have said, so that the Father will respond in the right way. So It's encouraging. Uh, we, we shouldn't be intimidated by prayer. Uh, when I look at verses 5 and 6 from last week, uh, what I remember from this section is he mentions the hypocrites. The hypocrites were the scribes and Pharisees, the religious guys. Um, they would stand up in their culture and they would have big lofty prayers and everybody would look up to them and think that they were the best guys and that they were super-duper righteous. And when I say that, it reminds me back at verse 1 of chapter 6. At this part of the Sermon of the Mount, after Jesus in chapter 5 has sort of laid out uh, really God's intention and heart behind the Old Testament law that was so misunderstood, he, trans, he transitions into how does our uh, righteousness in Christ, how does it manifest itself? And in the first verse, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And then the, the, those three verses following, he deals with giving to the poor. And, and to give to the poor, to get a bunch of attention from, from yourself for yourself is not what God desires. And then he talks about when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. And I think it's hard for us to understand because we don't live in a culture. I guarantee you, if I walked down to the Country Junction Delhi at lunchtime tomorrow afternoon, And just stood there, everybody coming out and saying, I'm going to start praying for you all. And just pray for every person that you see out loud. That's not going to make me a hero. It's going to make me seem like a little weirdo. Uh, So so for us to to make a, a big display over prayer in our culture, it doesn't necessarily result in like, man, that guy is really cool. But in their culture... It was like the guys that could get up and do the the high priestly prayers and do all the big show. They were they were praying to impress man, and Jesus says, "Hey, when you pray, go go into your private space." I don't think Jesus was condemning public prayer, but 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 as hard as when you pray, you pray and communicate to the creator of the universe. Don't even worry about humans, other people. I think in our context. When we're asked to pray publicly, we're so afraid of ridicule and people making fun of us that we're more concerned about how we pray to make them happy that we don't even consider God. And so I think for us, it's a little bit different. If you're asked to pray publicly, I think what we're supposed to do or the application of this is just ignore the people and realize that you're communicating to your creator. And then he goes on to say in verses 7 through 8, he he brings up another group of people, the Gentiles. The Gentiles are different, distinct uh, from the hypocrites who are the scribes and Pharisees. The, the Gentiles are sort of out of their um, uh, cultural circles. They would be pagans, the uh, false um, worshipers. And so when they prayed, he says, do not use meaningless repeti- repetition, this that, that word is a Greek word that 's only used here in the New Testament. It, it literally means a, a stammering of words, sort of like this repetition of meaningless words that would be endless i i I was reminded of going to the temple in Mongolia and hearing the guys like chanting and and just over and over and over and over again, hoping that it would break through and Jesus says don't pray like that just just use words." i 'll never forget when I was a young Christian and i was starting to get involved with church and i I got saved at kind of like at a church at the beach with pro surf like there was a pro the guy was an ex pro surfer and it was a very much a surf culture Dude was a very acceptable term and all like to use in every aspect of language. I still think it 's okay um, but we would be talking, and then somehow prayer would come up. And then my surfer buddies would suddenly, in their prayers, they'd be speaking King James. And it's like, whoa, where did that come from? How did you learn to speak that language? And they're like, well, I don't know. It just seems like we're supposed to say a and these. And and I think what Jesus is saying is like, no, if you use dude in your vocabulary, just talk to God. He just wants you to communicate with him in your language. And I love the prayer of a brand new Christian that Hasn't been sort of contaminated by by Christian culture and trying to, uh, to to please people in their communication, when they just talk to God and it's rough and raw and there may be a little profanity in there at times. I, I think that Jesus, wa- like, I'm not saying I'm not encouraging profanity. Don't don't like, and I'm probably not even encouraging dudes, but but, but I think at the heart is. Jesus just wants you to speak just speak your native tongue, English or whatever it is, and just communicate with him and talk to him. He understands. He knows what you need. He wants to hear you, and there's great encouragement in this. And so from this, after Jesus encourages them that God wants you to pray, he desires to communicate with you, he then gives this sort of this template for how do you actually go about praying? What things should we ask for? When we go into this, this great prayer, pray then in this way, "Our Father who is in heaven." If you I was raised in the Catholic Church, and it's hard for me even to read this because we recited it so much. I, the example I just gave, I can read, "Our Father who is in heaven." I want to say, "Our Father who art in heaven." I don't even use the word "art" in any, even in the context of drawing pictures, because I'm not artistic. But yet when I come to this, I want to say our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. See, I'm even saying thy and I'm not reading it because it's just been ingrained in me. It's a powerful prayer. So many people like know this prayer. MacArthur on this says, in fewer than 70 words, we find a masterpiece of the infinite mind of God who alone could compress every conceivable element of true prayer into such a brief and simple form a form that even a young child can understand but the most mature believer cannot fully comprehend beautiful words by him and so true about this prayer a few years ago it's probably been 5 or 6 years i've lost track i was at a seminar in Elmertown was Towns was, the, was the, the speaker. He's the co-founder of Liberty University. And I think I was in a seminar on a week long of prayer. And he had written a book, uh, Praying the Lord's Prayer. And he began to talk to us and explain his sort of understanding. It Probably for church people, it's probably, maybe this is common, but it was, like, it was life-changing to me. He began to teach us how you can use the Lord's Prayer to, to pray, to take each of the six or seven items, however you want to break them up, and sort of meditate on what Jesus says, and then to begin to pray along those lines. And since then, I found myself at night, if I'm having anxiety, that I'll just start saying the Lord's Prayer and praying along the lines of the Lord's Prayer. And days when I wake up and I'm feeling super spiritual and I start praying, right, just like I roll out of bed, I'll find myself praying the Lord's Prayer as Elmer Towns sort of showed me how this prayer could be used. Where for my whole life, this prayer was simply something I would recite in church. To where it's become this very meaningful prayer in my own life. Um, During the last service, all week I've been like, I want to do something different. I want to like, I want to actually have all of us pray during church and I want to lead us through this prayer and have groups and we did it last we did it last service but I felt a little bit like a few years ago when I um I went to a play with Anna I don't even remember the play I remember it was downtown and I thought I was doing like a super nice thing I take my wife out to dinner we'd go on a date we'd see this play which is not my choice of a date is to go to a play and it was like so we go to this play and it was supposed to be something and about 30 seconds into the play, I realized that the actor, it was, like, interactive. Like, where they would call random people up and, like, humiliate them. It was super funny if it wasn't you. And so then I I was, the whole play was, like, I'm not making eye contact with anybody. I don't want to go on the stage. If they call me up, I'm just going to refuse. Like, and I'm coming up with a battle plan of how to refuse to be made fun of. And I wasn't, I, thankfully, they never called me, probably because I was glaring at them and not looking at them. And so I kind of missed the whole play. I don't even remember what it was. I just remember being in my seat in like fight or flight mode. Like, if they call me, I'm out of here. So I was like, just leave Anna. Um, and so last service, I kind of felt like when I was drawing out prayer, I felt a little bit like that. And so I'm I'm adjusting midstream here. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Um, I'm going to teach over each section, and then after each section, I will lead us in a prayer um, to kind of to help us to, see, to, to pray and to learn how you can incorporate the Lord's Prayer into your prayer life. And so with that, we see verse 9. Pray then in this way. I, I believe here Jesus has sort of laying an outline. How do we go about praying? Uh, we read the very first verse here, verse 9. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So there's like three three things sort of jump out at me in this, this first sentence. Um, father jumps out at me. Heaven jumps out at me. Hallowed jumps out at me. Um, I want to start with hallowed, uh, because when I was a kid, reciting this, I remember reciting it in church, and just being really hung up over this word, hallowed, because I thought it w- we were saying hollowed, and so hallowed be your name, like was he like a, like a stuffed donut where there's jelly, and we want this somehow to be, like what is it to be hollowed out? Like, what are we praying? In between services, Don came up to me and he said, you know what, I was on the street once and there was a homeless guy that was like challenging all religions. And he said, one thing I learned from Christianity is that God's name is Hollow Ed. Because Hollow Ed be your name. That's, so, so I understand that some of us might be confused on this word hallowed. The, the word really is holy, set apart, distinct, Our father, our our father, if you're saying our father, that sort of implies child. And so that if we are going to our father, that means we're his child. But it doesn't say our father who is in Valley Center, our father who is in heaven. So then there's this there's this picture of this father of ours and his location is in heaven now the significance of this is that god the father is distinct from his creation for for all of us in this room everything we touch we see each other we are all things that have been created Even those of us who have the ability to like craft and build things, you're not creating out of nothing. You're taking created stuff and really repurposing it. Everything's been repurposed. Brand new stuff is just repurposed God's creation. And so I think that this picture of hallowed be your name, holy be your name, It's this, that we as children are calling out to our Father in heaven, who is totally distinct from us. He is not a part of creation. He's not within time. He's not bound by anything. He spoke everything into existence. Tonight I'll be in on a plane. Ben Ben and I, I'm not trying to rap. Um, Ben and I are flying tonight on a red-eye flight. Um... To, to a wonderful land of Ohio. That's for <laughs> we have an Ohio person there. We're going to a pastor's conference for two days. I love three things about airplanes. I love the takeoff. I love airplane food. Yes, I do. I lo- like, there's something wonderful about airplane food. I love being there. It's like it's like Christmas for me. I love it. Even if they're not serving food, tonight on the red-eye flight, I will be dead asleep. And when the cart lady comes, or male, when they come, I will wake up. I want my cran juice. Like, I want, like, it's a beautiful thing. I love it. And then landing. But, but on the takeoff, the takeoff is so fun. Especially if you get a really good pilot or if it's a short runway and that you can tell you roll in, like they normally as you roll in, I say, Okay, people, we've been cleared for takeoff, and you can hear the plane roll. I don't really like it when they do when they come around the corner and they just go for it. I like it when they hit the brakes, they hold the brakes, they floor the sucker, and it's like you're not even moving. Me. And it's like the whole thing is going, and then he like lets go of the brakes, and then you begin to go. And then you can tell that you're now going fast enough for him to pull up, but he's still building speed on the runway. And then all of a sudden he just pulls back and you're like, Broom. it feels like it's not the same, but you know with the Blue Angels, Fat Albert, the plane, like that plane that just goes. Broom. And as you're going up, it's like the whole thing is shaking. That's when I recline my seat because the person behind me won't notice. And it's like, you're just going straight up. Finally, when you're way up in the atmosphere, all of a sudden, every time, they level the plane, they cut the engines, and I think, oh no, this is it. This is the end. It's, we're crashing! The engine's off! But it's not off. You just leveled out. But that ride going up is just amazing. And, and and the reason I bring up an airplane going up like this is because this is how Jesus starts his prayer. He doesn't start out with give us our daily bread. He, he wants us to f- start our prayers to begin with adoration, to, to realize that, we're not praying to a chair. We're praying to our Father who is in heaven, who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, that we need to begin to understand with who we are communicating with. Because as we focus on him, as we realize who we're communicating to, really all the other stuff sort of gets, it, it, it puts it into perspective. And so will you join me as we start with a little prayer? Prayer. In this angle, or this aspect. And so, Father, we come before you. Lord, as we examine the Lord's prayer, we're reminded that holy, holy, holy are you. There's no corruption. There's total and complete purity. You are awesome. You are mightier than anything that we can begin to Fathom. The word tells us that everything that we see on this earth and the world and the universe, that you spoke it into existence. A small display of your power and your majesty. And so, Father, we worship you. Your name is holy. You are set apart. You are distinct from us you're outside of time, you're outside of creation. It's more than we can even comprehend. And so, Father, we look to you to, as we continue, Lord, in this study. Amen. So from there, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This one has. Remember the context here. We're Jesus is giving us a template for praying. So we start with adoration, and then suddenly he shifts to your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm reminded of the Gospel of Matthew. Up to this point, we've seen John the Baptist, that he was. He was preaching a gospel of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus, we're told, had the same message. And so Jesus is telling us to to, to respond. And yet in his prayer, there's sort of this this prayer on our part that we're praying, Your kingdom come. Your will come. I lost my place here. Your will, I'm. Uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and so, as I've been thinking about this, like what's what's he getting at? What's what's the heart of this prayer? Uh, the one thing that sort of jumped out at me in the last few weeks is it, it doesn't really take much. Uh, if you turn on the news or read the paper, uh, our, our world is a pretty cr- like like I, I love life and I enjoy a lot of things about this world but you really don't have to go too far before you're confronted with like evil and, and things that are just not right, that don't sit well with us. Um, death, for example. We are not wired to handle death. Solomon tells us that, that God has placed eternity in our hearts, that we were never created to die. And sin entered the world and that brought death. And so to this day, like at any funeral, seeing death, there's something just deep within me that aches because it's like the blue screen of death. Like just my brain, my heart, everything about me, I just, I cannot compute death. There's something within me that's just, this is intrinsically wrong. Then to back away from death and to to see the evil that humans do to each other. And I think that this is what Jesus is getting at this this longing, this hope that that the promise that that, that God is going to restore this world. He, he's going to do away with sin and evil and death. And Tom Wright in his book uh, on the Lord's Prayer says this: we, we are praying as Jesus was praying and acting for the redemption of the world, for the radical defeat and uprooting of evil. And for heaven and earth to be married at last. For God to be all in all. And if we pray in this way, we must, of course, be prepared to live this way. So there's this this yearning within the follower of Christ that God would come and restore. And I think that's, that's the prayer. You know, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. And so, Father, we do pray. Lord. As we look around and we see death, evil, violence, people taking advantage of each other, wronging each other. Lord, we know it's not supposed to be this way. And so we turn to you and we just call out, Lord, that you would come, that your kingdom would come, that you would restore things as they were supposed to be. Deep within us, we know this isn't right and we long for things to be the way that you created them. It's in Christ's name we pray. At this point in verse 10, uh, 11, everything so far has focused upward towards God. And, and and now, it's the first shift towards, I think the aspect of prayer that we are most familiar with. Um, I, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Um, this this dependency upon God for our sustenance, for our needs. Uh, I, I think that this goes beyond food. However, I think food is like the most like basic element that we need. However, most of us I don't think we've, most of us haven't really known hunger where we were really hungry and in need. Um, That's funny. When I was thinking about how, how do we pray about this? I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to J. Vernon McGee and I'm going to look for something. You know, he often has like a little softball that you can kind of quote that's pleasant. And so I look at J. Vernon McGee on this one verse and he says, this is a verse I would never pray in the American church. He's like, I know that half the time when I'm preaching, half the congregation is thinking about the pot roast that they have in their oven like we don't know hunger like thanks you really helped me out Javer and McGee on that one but most of the world i mean there's a lot of parts in the world where people are longing for half a cup of rice a day maybe that would be wealthy and i don't and i don't want to short so it because there there are all needs i think this uh, there are a lot of needs that we truly need uh, shelter, uh, clothing to a certain extent. I mean, well, that that sounds bad, but we need clothing. <laughs> we might not need a thousand shoes in our closet, so somewhere between no shoes and a thousand shoes, there's a happy medium. So I'm not going to go into the dan- whatever that ground is, <sighs> and at least one pair of flip-flops in San Diego. But but the idea is that we're we're, we're dependent upon him for our needs. And so I skipped over this one to kind of make up for some lost time. I, I really do think that we get the whole how to pray for our for our health, for our sustenance, for making your mortgage payment, making your rent payment, making your food bill. Like there are things that we need, and I love that God encourages us to ask Him to to, to call out to Him for our needs. And so from our, our, our daily provision, our daily bread, verse 12, we read, And forgive us our debts, as we have, past hence forgiven our debtors. Th- this one has all, in the years, is all, like, that's one of those that's like, Argh! like, love and pray for our enemies, which we've already covered. There are some that are just like, kind of, are like nails on the chalkboard instructions from jesus that are like but i don't want to lord (laughs) so in the midst of this prayer as we focus on god day praying for his kingdom praying for our daily sustenance then he says and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors i want to skip ahead down to verses 14 to 15 at the end of verse 13 the lord's prayer ends when we go into verse 16, he's still continuing in prayer, but but he's dealing with the issue of fasting. And so verses 14 and 15 are kind of like, well, where do these fit? How does this matter? But look what they say. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So when I look at 12, 14 and 15, I really sense because of my amazing gift of discernment that God wants us to be a forgiving people. And because it's mentioned so many times, I think that this sort of indicates that as humans this is something for us this is something that's very difficult for us to do to truly forgive. If you'll turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 4. Because I don't think that the scripture is teaching that your forgiveness is dependent upon your forgiving others. For Christians, the whole how we view forgiveness is different than the world's sense. So in Ephesians... I'll start at verse chapter four, verse thirty. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the, to me, there's there's a huge case, like you don't grieve. So your actions, you can grieve God, you can grieve the Spirit, and we're told not to grieve the Spirit, and the reason. We're not to grieve the Spirit is because the Spirit is the very thing that's sealed us for the day of redemption. That there's security, our hope, our salvation is based on the work of Christ, not on our own works. If our salvation was contingent on our own works, we would be in a lot of trouble. But so based on don't grieve the Spirit of God. Then verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And so now you can go back to Matthew, but we see in Ephesians that there's this standard that the follower of Christ, the one who's believed in Jesus for Savior, you have the Spirit of God within you. We're told that we're not to grieve the Spirit of God and that our actions and our attitudes towards other people, that this if we continue to hold malice, anger, bitterness, wrath, all of these things in our heart, that we grieve God as we do this. And the standard, we're to forgive as we've been forgiven. And I'm not going to sit up here and act like this is something easy to do. I would say my almost 20 years of being a Christian, that dealing with anger and forgiveness has probably been like, like one of the areas that God has like, uh, I don't. I almost said delicately. He hasn't delicately dealt with anything with me. Like, he has really, um, like ripped off the scab and poured rubbing alcohol and really tried to scrub it clean and dealing with it. I had an abusive biological mom. That the last time I saw her, I had to testify against her in court. At 11 years old, I had some anger. I had some anger. And then I became a Christian. And then God began sort of like listerining my soul. (laughs) And saying, you need a forgiver. And you need to really work through these things. But being angry felt so much better. But I was destroying myself. And I'll never forget at 19, writing out a long letter to my to my biological mom saying that I had forgiven, I'd become a Christian, I'd forgiven her. It, it, it's too long of a story to tell here, but I learned that there's a difference between forgiveness and consequence. I don't know that, I mean, I, I forgave her and I have no anger. But God wants us to let go of anger and bitterness. And when I see the Lord's prayer, he says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Verse 14, for if you forgive others and their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. There is this, like if you guys don't see it, I, there is some weight sort of placed on our forgiving, on our releasing people that have wronged us And so I'm going to bow. I want there to be just a a sort of a moment of silence that you can go before God. And if there are people that you're harboring bitterness about, anger, malice, um, like I'd encourage you to forgive them, but maybe you're not there yet. Maybe it's just like you need to pray, Lord, help me to forgive them. Father, as I sort of think about forgiveness, your word comes to mind that says, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We did nothing to initiate our relationship with you. We thank you that you are a merciful God. We thank you that you are a kind God. Father, we thank you that you sent your son for us, Lord, while we were actively rebelling against you. And so, Father, this forgiveness that we've received is an awesome thing. Your grace is a a word that we toss around, and I don't know that we fully get what grace truly is. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand as best that we are able, Lord, to understand the grace that we've received from you, the forgiveness that we've received from you. And Lord, as we think of anger and bitterness and people who've wronged us, Lord, I, I, um, I pray, Lord, that you would begin the work of, Of helping us to truly forgive as we've been forgiven. Father, I pray that you would help us uh, to let go of grudges. Father, that we would forgive and allow your healing to to begin to occur in our hearts. And Father, for those that we've forgiven, we we pray that you would help um, it to be a permanent action in our hearts, Lord, so often we forgive and um, it 's only a matter of time before the the wall sort of breaks down and and bitterness and anger are able to to fill our hearts again, and so Lord, we pray that you would just deeply, deeply cleanse us, Lord, of anger and bitterness in our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you 've forgiven us, and we desire Lord, to be like you, but we need your help, and it 's in christ 's name we pray, amen. Okay, so from here to verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You start thinking about this and it's, the the, the question is, is is God leading us into temptation? I feel like that this is probably like an English understanding that kind of gets us going down the wrong track. And God is holy, God is pure, God does not lead us into temptation. When I see this aspect, I think of, I should have told you to hold your places in Ephesians. If you would go back to Ephesians, I apologize, or you can just let me read to you. In Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 and 16 and 17, we read, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And so now coming back to the Lord's Prayer, in in contrast to Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, there's this, what I see is, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is is the aspect of the Lord's Prayer, understanding that as we look about the world, as we... uh, see our daily lives there are many 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 temptations out there but even before we step out of our bed we have a a greater issue is the darkness of our heart that our heart that, 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 that there is within us there is this tug of war between the flesh and the spirit and so when i see this part of the lord's prayer I think that this is us asking God, Lord, help us to follow after you. Lord, help me to be sensitive to your voice. Lord, when I'm tempted by evil that looks so appealing, Lord, help me to follow after you. And so, Father, we do come before you, Lord, we... Lord, it would be easy if sin wasn't appealing, if temptation wasn't appealing, if the the lure of Satan wasn't so strong. But Lord, the, the the things that we're being lured with are often things that You've created for good, and Satan has twisted them for evil. That within our own hearts there's a darkness. And so, Father, as we follow after you, as we seek Christ, as we long for righteousness, Father, we pray that you would help us to to live our lives in a way um, that is sensitive to you, that we would sense the Spirit's prompting, that we would become sensitive to your voice, that as we hear you, as we sense your prompting us, that we would yield, that we would follow after you. Lord, help us not to fall into temptation. When I look at the great heroes of the Bible, so many great men, David, Solomon, Gideon, or Samson, uh, uh, there's just temptations and great men and women have succumbed to them. And so, Lord, we don't come before you arrogantly thinking that we are greater than they. Lord, we recognize our need Father, we pray that you would help us to follow after you so that we would not be led into temptation. We are desperate because within us, Lord, there is a great pull to go off course. And so we we look to you and we ask you for help. Amen. All right, now this last, this last line in the Lord's prayer, um, I know when I read it, I kind of, I heard somebody maybe even turn their page looking for the verse. If you're reading out of the New American Standard, it is is there. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you have the New American Standard, you'll notice that there's brackets there. If you're reading out of the NIV, the ESV, I think the New King James, uh, a, a, a huge portion of other translations, there should be a star or a little a, B, C, or one, two, three. however, uh, your translation has laid it out, and if you look into your notes on the side and see, well, what's that little star for?" If you go to that little star, you'll see uh, some MSS earlier translations don't include this. Um, I, my, my, I get kind of excited about this subject, but, so I don't want to get like but there's only probably like two or three of us that care about this, but it's important. Um, there are so many people who don't believe and don't trust in the reliability of the scriptures. Who will say, oh, the Bible's filled with all sort of inaccuracies and uh, contradictions, and you just can't trust it. And somebody could take this and say, well, the one Bible, they just left it out of the other. It's there. What's the deal? This is a contradiction. And I'd like to show you briefly that, that really what we have here today is something, it's an opportunity for us to see how reliable the scriptures that we hold in our hands are. I mean, it's ama- it really is amazing. Um, I should have probably put this up on, the, on the, the screen so you can read it, but Daniel Wallace, who is one of the top Greek grammarians in, in the United States today, uh, he has a note about this verse, and he says the reading without this sentence, though is attested generally by better witnesses, meaning various manuscripts. In the parentheses, you'll see a whole list of uh, v- various manuscripts. Uh, the last, the phrase was probably composed for the liturgy of the early church, and most likely was based on First Chronicles twenty-nine verses eleven through thirteen a scribe probably added the phrase at the point in the text for use in public scripture reading. Both external and internal evidence argue for the shorter reading. Okay, that's kind of, was like sort of a nerdy sentence that probably said a whole lot that you guys don't care about, but let me explain. What he basically said is, when Matthew was, pro- was written originally, that sentence wasn't there, okay? Now, when I first became a Christian, I I left the Catholic Church, and I this was one of these prayers that came up or discussions. I found that in Protestant circles, Protestants can be kind of harsh to Catholics, um, and so it kind of depends on which side of the aisle or the context of the argument who I kind of defend. And so there I was, and somebody had said, "Oh, the Catholic Church has distorted the scriptures. They added." As soon as I can find my place here, it's disappeared. There it is. For yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. And so that's not the case. Uh, The the way we receive the New Testament is this piece of paper, we'll just pretend, was Matthew. Matthew, it's believed, wrote the Gospel of Matthew in AD 55 or 56, mid-50s about 20 years after the birth of Christ, which right there is a, historically that we have so many um, accounts this close to, to Jesus' life. He wrote out his gospel. He then passed it on to somebody. A scribe then took his account and then made two copies. And they made two copies. And these two copies, this is the original They went over to the other location. They took one copy, one copy, and then I'm running out of paper. Then two more copies were made. This goes on and on. And so there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of copies of the New Testament in, in portions. They're found all around the world in museums. And... We've lost, we do not have the original manuscripts, the the very, the very originals we don't have. I believe God did this so that we wouldn't worship them. Um, but so what has happened is, copy, 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 copy. You have a set of copies. You have these manuscripts that are, say, a few generations, or I don't know, generations, a few years removed from the originals. This is the bulk of copies that we had at one point. Those copies had this line in there, but then in some year in Egypt, they discovered um, more recently, they discovered a whole like a jackpot of manuscripts buried like in the desert. And the, the the dry air and the heat preserved these manuscripts. There's less of them, but we can date them closer to the original writing, and so these. These copies that are closer don't have this line in there. Hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully I'm not, like, losing everybody. And so our great translators, these guys who, I don't care if it's the NIV, the New Living Translation, the New American Standard, the New King James, the ESV, each one of these translations has a translation sort of committee who's made up of say, I don't know, 30 to 50 like super nerdy Greek and Hebrew grammarians that they literally go line by line examining all of these manuscripts. They take it from the original language and then they place it into the the language, whether it's English, Spanish, Chinese, whatever the language happens to be in the most user-friendly portion. And so when they came to this portion... The New American Standard Committee says we're going to insert this in brackets. We're going to notify the readers that the the younger copies include this. The older copies that we discovered later, they don't have this. So we're going to allow you to see this variance. And all of the translations do this. And Wallace, when he comes to this point, the, the question then for me becomes, do I have any heartburn, including this in the Lord's Prayer? I really don't. Um I I I don't think that this was I don't think when Mark when Matthew wrote this, this was there. However, let's read what it says. For yours is the kingdom and power of and the glory forever amen does that violate any revelation from god absolutely absolutely not in fact if you'll turn with me over to chronicles let's go to chronicles chapter 29 so first chronicles chapter 29 it's at the very end of chronicles comes right before second chronicles so the very last chapter so the scholars believe that this phrase came very early on. When I'm saying early on, we're talking if Matthew, the original, was written in A.D. 50, we're talking maybe like A.D. 200 or something very soon. That a scribe at one point said, oh, we'll put this in there for public reading so that we can remember. You come to First Chronicles 29 and you read it. Uh, 29 verses 11 through 13 says, Yours, O Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, O God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Man, that is powerful. And so when I come to this section, it's like, okay, well, I can see how it was added on. It absolutely doesn't violate it, only affirms what was already written in the scriptures. And so to me, as far as like manuscript sort of variants, this is a huge scriptural variants like this as far as like nerdy grammarians who linguists who study ancient documents with textual criticism this is huge but i just want to point out to you who hold the word of god that in your scriptures in your text if you pay attention to the footnotes you'll see that all of the translators put that right there for you to see that we can with total assurance, with our souls on the line, have confidence in the Word of God. It's beautiful. Okay, I probably said too much. And as Jay Vernon McGee said, you guys have roasts in the oven and you're hungry and you want to it's Mother's Day. I'm gonna close in prayer. I do want to say that I'm before I end, I wanna creep just a little bit into next week. In verse 16 and verse 17. I'm sort of been dreading, I'm not dreading this. Verse 16 says, whenever you fast, verse 17 says, but when you, but you, when you fast, I'm going, oh, I gotta preach on this next week. Whenever you fast, hmm. When was the last time Gunner fasted? The, the, this is not a spiritual discipline I'm very good at. Because the implication is that you actually do fast. And I think the last fast that I remember didn't even involve food. It goes back three years when we moved in our house and we couldn't find a provider that would give us internet in our house in Valley Center. And so we declared a month-long internet fast, and it was horrible. I survived and then I think I go back a few years, and I've done fast all the time where I'll start. I'm going to fast for 24 hours. And then midway through lunch, I was like, ah! <laughs> And so I'm not really making a strong commitment at this point, time-wise. Between now and next Sunday, I will fast. Um, I have aspirations of fasting from Friday night to Sunday, and we're going to do the Lord's Supper next Sunday, and that's where I want to break my fast. But see, our minds with fasting, it's already terrible because I'm going to a bonfire on Friday night, and I'm thinking, but there might be s'mores there. So I think maybe I'll start the fast after the bonfire because I don't want to miss s'mores, if there's even s'mores. If there's no s'mores, maybe I'll start. I don't know, but I am going to fast at some distance. And so if fasting is something that you would like to attempt, either wait till next week or... Just know that the text next Sunday will be on fasting and we will be taking the Lord's Supper. And so when I know that, I wanted to sort of fast accordingly. So with that, let's pray. Um, Our Father who is in heaven, you are an awesome and mighty God. We thank you for this wonderful privilege of communicating with you We thank you that you desire to hear from us. We thank you that we can just speak to you. You don't need fancy theological language. You just want us to communicate with you. And I thank you that Christ gave us this template that we have training wheels of sort to learn how to pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to see your majesty, your glory, your awesome power, that we would understand who it is that we're praying to. Father, I confess that so often when it comes to my needs, I go to my own strength, my own resources. And then when I reach a dead end, that's often when I turn to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would help me That you would help us, Lord, to lean upon you, to depend upon you for our daily sustenance. Father, that you would help us to build our trust in you. Father, we pray that you would help us to be like you as we deal with other people. Father, again I pray that you would help us, Lord, to truly forgive. Forgiveness is a painful thing at times because there is a lot of hurt in this world. And so, Father, we see in this prayer that you have a deep, deep desire for your followers to be forgiving. And so, Father, I pray that you would do this work in our hearts. Father, we are thankful. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.